It was the year 1969, and a one-hit wonder song came out by a group that never had a hit since then. It was the song in the year 2525. Some of you may know this song. Most of you probably do not. It's a rather depressing song. It was an era in our country's history where, you know, we were into the space program, and there was this kind of cynical look at future things that were happening. And so the song comes out, and I could see why they only had one hit song. Listen to this. It starts off, in the year 2525. Remember how it starts? Now listen to this, because nobody remembers anything beyond that. If man is still alive, if women can survive, they may find, in the year 3535, ain't going to need to tell the truth, tell no lie, everything you think, do, and say is in the pill you took today. In the year 4545. See, it's catchy, but the, the lines, that, the things that sing, they're terrible. Listen to this one. You ain't going to need your teeth, won't need your eyes, won't find a thing to chew, nobody's going to look at you. <laughs> In the year 5555, your arms hanging limp at your sides, your legs got nothing to do, some machine's doing that for you, <laughs> I'm not going to even go on. But the song is de- it's a depressing song. I can see why they're a one-hit wonder. After writing something like that, people probably wised up. We who love Jesus should sing a different song, a song of becoming more and more like our Savior and our Lord, our Christ. In the year 2016, here at Grace Point, we looked at Romans chapters 1 through 5 and looked at what, what should be our basic belief system as followers of Jesus Christ. And then we got into the year uh, 2017, and that was the year of faith for us as a church. We looked at things like the Lord's Prayer and what it means that we're now a remnant people of God. We're no longer in the majority, but we're in the minority. And God often operates, praise be to his glorious name, from the margins. He does not need a majority to accomplish his goals in his creation. And then we got to the year 2018, and that was a year of intentionality. So we looked at what it means to have an intentional life in, in, in God, what it means to be an intentional disciple, what it means to be an intentional worshiper. And that brings us to the year 2019, the year we're in right now. And this year we've been looking at what it means to be spiritually intelligent people, to have self-awareness. And we're coming full circle in some of our Bible looks. We're going to look now today at Romans chapter 6, and then over the next few weeks, the rest of chapter 6, chapter 7, and, and chapter 8, and, and, and we should sing a different song. God's doing marvelous things in our midst, amen? And we should have optimism and not pessimism when it comes uh, to the future because we have our God in, in our uh, line of sight. Um, so I'm excited about this morning. I'm full of anticipation and hope of what God will do in our midst. As Pastor Aaron said, we're entering into this new series called The Battle Within. It's going to be a, a series looking at Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. I want to do something for you today to get us started. I want to talk for a few minutes on an overview of Romans chapters 1 through 5, um, what it means to have some right beliefs. Uh, this is important for setup for what we're going to look at here for the next few weeks. Um, 
The gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ is good news. That's the first thing that Paul makes known in Romans chapter 1. In fact, that's part of his salutation. That's part of his greeting. His greeting is, is full of, of depth and meaning. And he basically says that Jesus is fully God and fully human. Therefore, he's fully able uh, and qualified to be our Savior. And then not only that, he says uh, he was crucified and he was resurrected. He now sits at the right hand of God making intercession for you and me. In him we have grace and we have peace. Peace. That's the introduction to Romans. You could just kind of preach on that for a couple weeks. And then next he gets into this really big profound thought. He, he, he says people are without excuse because God has made salvation known to them. All of creation speaks of God and his interaction with us. Ancient cultures frequently have some kind of message in them that points to some of the Bible stories and some linkage there. A few years back at Christmas time, I talked about how the ancient names of constellations really was the story of Christ, but that perverted that story by Greek mythology and Roman mythology. And so if you go back in time, even those kinds of things were, were kind of telling the story of God's involvement with his creation. Now let me blast through some of these other ones here, these basic beliefs that Romans 1 through 5 tells us. Rejecting Jesus is humanity's big problem, Paul says. That's our problem, is the rejection of Jesus Christ. The right response to Jesus Christ then is belief and repentance. Repentance means I was walking this way without God in my own sinful uh, ignorance. I found the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm turning, I'm walking this way with him. I repented. I've turned and I'm walking 180 degrees from the way I used to walk. I love what Paul says about the law, one of the purposes of the law. The law is a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. Um, what the law does for you and I is the same thing that an escort, a schoolmaster, would do in the day of Jesus Christ. What the schoolmaster would do in the day of Jesus Christ is he would go to the home of the student, grab that little bugger by the hand, and escort them to synagogue where they would learn and be educated at. Okay? What the law does for you and me is it reveals to us our sinfulness and our lostness and our desperate need of God, and it escorts us to the foot of the cross so that we receive an education from Jesus Christ. Amen? That's one of the purposes of the law, and I just, I just love that picture of the law. And here's the thing we really need to know. The way to come to God has always been by faith. The ancients, like Abraham, were commended because they came to God by faith. We, too, will be commended by God if we come to him by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's always been the way that we go to God is by faith. In Jesus Christ, you are justified. Easy way to remember that term, justified, just as though you've never sinned. So when you receive Christ as your Savior, God looks at you and he says, it's just as though you have never sinned. And then this last one, I, uh, maybe my favorite, the secret of success is obedience. And um, I love what Pastor Aaron says about obedience. He always says on the other side of obedience is blessing. Amen, right? The secret of success is obedience. So these basic beliefs in Romans 1 through 5 have laid the foundation for us now as we get into Romans 6, 7, and 8, and we willingly do the battle within us, that we actually come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and that we actually experience the transformation and sanctification that he desires. So here's our introductory thought this morning. Right behavior flows from right belief. Right behavior flows from right belief. I heard a quote that went like this. 
People may not say what they believe, but they tend to live what they believe. People may not say what they believe, but they tend to live what they believe. Paul, knowing this, spent five chapters here in, in Romans setting the, 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 the standard of what it looks like to be a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. By the way, Romans is like Paul's last will and testament to the church. He desperately wanted to get to the Roman church. He wanted to speak to them in person. It became apparent to him, I'm never going to make it there. And so he writes this wonderful epistle we call Romans. And it's just such a great look at what Christianity is all about. And so what he's doing in the first five chapters is establishing a basic belief system. In the next three chapters that we're going to look at now, he's talking about what it means now to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ, to put it into practice. We do this all the time. We just may not think about it. You go to school for four years to become an engineer, right? There comes a day when you get hired. And you have to put what you've learned into practice. And you're given a problem. You want to transport this much material from this location to this location. Well, you know what? You, you have to figure out the viscosity of that material. You have to figure out the amount of, of volume you want to pump. And you can do these calculations. And you can figure out the pipe size. You don't have to guess. Amen? Amen? Some of you engineering students, anybody in here an engineering student? Yeah, you don't have to guess. You're, say you're a nursing student. You go four years to college, right? And you learn anatomy, you learn physiology, you learn all of the stuff about uh, the human body. So that when I come in and, and you draw blood from me, you know how, how to poke my, my vein without killing me. Amen? And the better practiced up that you are at that, the more grateful I am for you. Amen? I don't want you saying, huh, I wonder where I stick this thing. To start poking at, nah, anyway. You follow what I'm saying? We get educated, and then part of life's natural progression is what? We put it into practice. That's precisely the journey that Paul is taking us on in the book of Romans. We get educated, and now we want to put that into practice. And, and one of the key concepts we're going to look at over the next several weeks is this concept of sanctification. And that means to be made holy, set apart from common usage. I like this definition. It implies both a change of status. You are made holy, H-O-L-Y, by the sacrifice of Christ, and it implies a change of state. You are becoming holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, God's person in all areas of your life. So when you receive Christ, God looks at you now as a sanctified person. You're holy in the sight, H-O-L-Y. But also there's this lordship and this progressive sanctification that takes place where pieces of your life are being set apart to the glory of God and you're cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit in you and you're becoming one who lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ and you're becoming a holy, set-apart person to the Lord. Romans chapter 6, 7, and eight, really dwell on the W-H-O-L-L-Y part of sanctification. And that's what we're going to look at for a few weeks here. Our series goal is simple, uh, that you recognize the battle going on within you. This whole year's theme is, is to become self-aware, to be spiritually intelligent followers. And so part of our goal in this series is that you recognize there is a battle going on within you and that you embrace sanctification being made holy and becoming 
holy God's person. So that's our introduction today. Now we're ready for the message, all right? I just kind of introduced the series to you, and now I want to talk with you for a few moments on the message of the beginning part of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is really a two-pronged approach to mastery over sin, at least the beginning part of it is. Um, so what we're going to do here is I'm going to read this scripture to you, and, and then we're going to talk about it for a few moments. But I want to give you a little bit of background so you understand uh, where Paul's coming from as I open up chapter 6 to you. As Paul ended chapter 5 of Romans, he, he made the statement that, that the, the law revealed our trespasses and made them known. And the more they were made known, the more that the person could experience the grace of God through, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So if you don't know you have a need, then you don't know what you're getting. Amen? And so Paul's trying to make that linkage uh, obvious to people. Well, here's what was happening in the church, or in, 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 in at least the people of Rome that he's writing to. Some were saying, well, if my sinfulness makes God's grace more known and makes God's grace greater, then I should sin more so God can be greater. Amen? Sounds like I'm talking to some of my young kids. But they were actually saying that to Paul. And we may think that's ridiculous, but we do this very thing all the time. Maybe not with that kind of logic, but I think frequently in our lives, and I'm being honest with you today, I may think, well, I'm going to do this thing wrong. I know it's wrong, God, but you'll forgive me. Don't we do that? Don't you say things, even as you're saying it, you're going, I shouldn't be saying this, but I'm going to say it. Even as it's coming out of your mouth, the Holy Spirit's saying, stop it. And we're going, ah, I'm just going to say it anyway, counting on God's forgiveness. And we do this kind of thing all the time that's contrary to the Lord. And this is the kind of thing that Paul's saying, Jesus wants you to master this through the power of the person of the Holy Spirit in you. So now we're ready to read Romans chapter 6. It'll make more sense as I begin to read this to you uh, as to what Paul's referring to. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Another way you can interpret it is this way. That's ridiculous thinking. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. By the way, September 29th, in the morning services here, we're going to have baptisms. And this is kind of getting into that thought process a little bit, so I'm going to do a little bit of a commercial for you right now. If you've never been baptized and you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be baptized because that baptism is a moment of declaration before a whole bunch of people that as you go in the water, you're saying, I am dead to myself and to my sinful way. And as you come out of the water, I am resurrected and I'm living a new life in Jesus Christ. The very things that... that that Paul's talking about in this scripture. So I want to plug that right now. We're having a class next week. If you want to come to that class and find out about baptism, you ought to do that. All right, enough commercial. We're back to the scripture. You ready to go? I'm just pretending I'm TV, amen? You ever watch TV? You can't go eight minutes without a commercial coming on. The commercials are eight minutes long. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Go to, go to verse five. Here we are, verse five. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe we also uh, live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So here we go. Two-pronged approach to mastery over sin could be summarized by this one statement. Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's the sermon today in a statement. Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What I'm going to do this morning is major on the first half of this statement. Count yourself dead to sin. Next week, we'll get into what it means to be alive in God. I'll just touch on that a little bit with you this morning. But we're going to major on what it means that you're dead to sin. So let's talk about being dead to sin. When Paul says, so we go on sinning so grace may abound, it's really saying, listen, if the person of the Holy Spirit is living in you, then it's a ridiculous kind of logic to say, I'm going to sin more so God can become greater. He said, that's not at all what's supposed to transpire. What's supposed to transpire is that you become more and more and more like Jesus Christ, that you're set apart for the glory of God, and you're living uh, uh, your life out in such a way that is reflective of that. For sure, we're not supposed to live a life dominated by sin. Did you hear that? Because I see that in the modern church a lot. That people who say, I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, yet are so content to say, I'm just going to live dominated by some of the sin, counting on God to forgive me and to be compassionate and gracious. And that is not what we're supposed to think or do. Paul would say to you and I today, that's ridiculous thinking. Because if God is in you, if Christ is in you through the person of the Holy Spirit, then you can't coexist with that kind of sin very long without there being some kind of tension. Amen? Some kind of, okay, this thing has to go on me. And what's interesting is that Paul uses some of this imagery that we've been baptized into Christ's death with him and all that. Therefore, just as he puts into death, it ought to be put to death in us. And he's kind of using a, a technique here that is used elsewhere in the Bible um, to get us to understand that because we have this deep abiding relationship with Jesus Christ and understand everything he's gone through because of that relationship and love for Jesus, it should then change how we think about Jesus and how we look at things like sin and sin dominance in our life. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, uh, we're told that the Israelites were baptized into Moses by crossing the Red Sea with them. And what that meant was that they had a profound respect and adoration for Moses because of that experience they went through with him. As he led them through the Red Sea, they now acknowledged him as their leader, as a man anointed by God, and everything about Moses anteed up and became, you know, a higher status. And what 
Paul is saying here by this being baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ and into his death and being crucified with him is he's saying because of what Christ has gone through and because you know what he's gone through and, you, and you've seen that and you've seen his resurrection, because of that relationship, you should understand that when he died to sin, saying you died to sin too, that relationship should just take you right along and you should adore him and trust him and believe in him. And then like when he says, you know, I put this to death in you, you should say yes because of your love and your adoration for the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. It's basically a relational thing more than it's a commandment thing. Are you getting this? That's why that, some of that terminology is used there. We're supposed to see that if we're going to have dominance over sin, it's because of our deep abiding relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he means by you are united with Jesus in death, which is sub-point A if you're taking notes, you're note-taking guide. When you embrace Christ as your Savior, you're embracing everything that he stands for and everything that he's done, and you're embracing this idea that he has put to death your own sin nature. So, this is sub-point B. Your old self has been crucified with him. You no longer live, but he lives in you. And the way I would summarize it is this way. In Jesus, your old nature has died along with its dominance. Your old nature has died along with its dominance. The trouble is that old self likes to resurrect itself, doesn't it, if we're honest? And that's what Romans 7 is all about. We'll get to that when we get to that. But for this morning, we've got to understand our old self has been slain in Christ. It's been put to death. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 23 tells us this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be new in the attitude of your mind. So there we see that duality. Put off the old and put on the new again. And basically, I think in Romans that, that the Apostle Paul has given us a real good way of understanding what it means to put off our old sinful nature. We need to treat it as being dead. You ever hear anybody say, you're dead to me? Sometimes they say that jokingly. Sometimes they mean it. What does that mean when someone says, they're dead to me, or you say jokingly, you're dead to me? I'm not going to think about you anymore. You're not going to influence me anymore. You're as good as gone relationally in my life. Well, when you look at your old sinful nature as dead to you, what are you saying? Your dominance, your influence, you're gone. You no longer affect me. And this is why this is really important for mastery over sin. Dead people don't sin. Have you noticed that? Amen, right? Can someone say amen to that? i got an illustration. Maybe uh, this will help. Um, I'm looking around for some poor person that's going to help me. Chad Robinson, I need you. You need to come up here, bud. Make your way. You've been nominated. Whoops. Perfect. All you have to do is be dead. Good. You're going to lay on my cot here, and it's a very comfortable death. Oh, I was a little bit nervous about you really getting hurt there. So, anyway, so Chad's dead. Close eyes, dead. Someone's clapping their hands. Oh, that's your father-in-law, buddy. I'll pray for you. So, all right. Um, so Chad's dead, right? And so now, listen. I come along to Chad. I got this hundred-dollar bill. It's not fake. It's real. Really, it's real. I just always carry around hundred dollars with me for fun. So, it's a $100 bill. It's real. You're dead. Close your eyes. So, 
I go to Chad, who's dead, and I start saying, Chad, I have devised this really devious scheme. I need you to do this lying and some things for me. And if you do, I'll pay you $100. And I begin to wave that in front of his face. What's going to happen? Nothing. Why? He's dead. Dead men don't sin. Amen? Dead men don't sin. And I'm putting that $100 away. You're not going to get that. So then I go to him with a magazine. We're going to pretend this is a bad magazine. It's really Wesleyan life. (laughs) So just so you know that I'm not actually showing him a bad magazine up here, okay? So I take my Wesleyan life, and we're pretending it's a bad magazine that has some girly pictures in it. And I say, ooh, look at her. She's kind of cute. No, dead men don't sin. Maybe this is one that will hit home more. We're going to pretend this is a HGTV magazine. And I know Chad and Jesse, they want a really nice house, right? And you want all the amenities. So I go, look at that marble countertop. Look at that kitchen with all those stainless steel appliances, a smudge all the time. You want that. So you can spend the rest of your life cleaning off stainless steel. Doesn't want it. Doesn't affect him at all. Why? Dead men don't sin. Let me try one more thing. Chad, you're just one handsome dude. Woo! Any girl would be happy to have you, amen? Look at the muscles on that boy, the brains, the good looks, the unshaven chin. (laughs) All that flattery, I'm sorry, all that flattery would create nothing in him. It would create no pride, nothing. Why? Dead men don't sin. Say it with me. Dead men don't sin. Say it again. Dead men don't sin. You can be resurrected from the dead, Chad, and go back to your seat. <laughs> Thank you, bud. Yes, he did good. <laughs> so, This is what Paul's trying to get at with us. And you know what you need to do? I do this frequently, personally. Um, have a funeral. Count yourself dead to sin. Have a funeral. Have a moment where you think, I need to bury that. I need to have a funeral. I need to put it into the ground. Here's how this works in our lives. We first come to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And we're young in the Lord, and we're coming usually through some tough stuff to get to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember when I first came to Christ as a young person, the first things that had to go to death was my mouth was foul, and profanity would easily flow from it. And I had a real uh, temper issue at that time, and uh, maybe a little bit of a drinking problem. And some of those things... I had to have a funeral for. I had to just say, I'm done doing this. I, had, I remember having moments where I said, that's it. That's done dominating me. And I'm going to bury that thing and put it in the ground and have a funeral for it. It's dead in your sight, Jesus Christ. And if it tries to resurrect itself, I'm going to say, get back in the grave. Amen? Get back in the grave. And then you get done with that kind of iteration, but then God takes you to a new level of, of self-examination, of self-awareness. And, and all of a sudden, this motivation of jealousy is not good. This, this looking at uh, other people and wanting what, them, uh, what they have is not a, a righteous thing. This whole idea of having some, you know, uh, you know, highlights in your life and being noticed, that's not right. These are more subtle things, but they're also part of that sin nature. And at some point, you have to say, you know what, God? You're enough. I don't need the recognition of people. I don't need the adoration of anybody. I just want to please you. And you have a funeral for those things, and you put them to death. And then you think, oh, I'm getting there. 
And then God will reveal to you some new truths, some deeper truths. Everything in your life has to be done with the motivation of love. Pray for those that despitefully misuse you. Bless your enemies and don't curse them. And I don't know about you, but I've been around a lot of buggers in my life that are hard to love. Amen? Have you? And honestly, I've had to pray, God, give me the grace to love these ones correctly and for my selfishness and my self-bent and my sinfulness to be put into the grave. And God just keeps taking these iterations and iterations and iterations and iterations of going deeper and deeper and deeper into your soul. And you keep continually having to have funerals and putting the stuff to death. Amen? And that's part of becoming a sanctified, set-apart person for the glory of Jesus Christ, becoming holy gods, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Amen? So that's what I think Paul is getting at when he says, you're dead to sin. Dead men don't sin have a funeral, put it to death. Now, I've covered most of what I want to cover for this morning, but I quickly want to cover just this last concept of what it means to be alive in Christ because here's what I find in my life. The more I try not to think about something and not to do it, the more I tend to think about it and want to do it. And so what you have to do is not just not do some things, but displace the wrong. Replace it with the right. Displace the wrong, get it out of your thinking, and replace it with the right. I, I know this works uh, for me uh, like nothing else. Sometimes, I don't know, do you ever get stuck on things? I know I'm a little OC. I get stuck. Do you get stuck? Anybody get stuck on something in here? Or am I, I'm, I'm unique that way, aren't I? None of you ever have that problem, amen? So I've been going through some of these medical things lately. Um, and I have to go for a recheck now after having a couple surgeries. I got to go back to this heart doctor. I got to go back to this cardiovascular surgeon. Happy day. I got the letter in the mail. I go, yay. I just want to think about this. And so I found myself the last couple of days thinking, oh, man, I don't want to go. I don't want to fill all this paperwork. I got to go in there basically for the full day for all these tests. And I don't want to be defined by this. You ever think like that? And pretty soon all I'm doing is thinking about it. And you have to just bury that thing, have a funeral for it, right, if it's wrong thinking, but then replace it with something else. So yesterday I started saying, okay, God, I just got to sing to you a little bit and start just doing some of that. So when I started golfing with these guys, they didn't hear me, but I was just singing. Because I need to displace the wrong thinking with the right thinking. Amen? And that's what being made alive in Jesus is all about. You're united with Jesus in resurrection. It ought to change everything. Just how you think, how you take on your problems, and when we look at resurrection, we tend to look at it, well, it happened back there when the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead, right? And we think, hallelujah. And that's part of our belief system and why we believe in Christ as our Savior. But, and then we tend to think about it, oh, the day is coming over here when I too, like Christ, will experience his resurrection power, when I'll be raised, uh, you know, with him into glory upon my death or at the end of the age. Um, and we tend to think like that. But here's what I want you to understand. Resurrection needs to be a now moment in your life, not a past event or a future hope, as good as those are. It needs to become a now moment. You need to begin to understand that you have been resurrected in Christ now. And the same power that raised him from the grave is working in your life now. 
And you need to be relying upon that power and standing in that power. See, Jesus is more than a great moment in the past. He's more than a future hope. He is the moment now that you find yourself in. You have a new life in Christ to experience now, Paul says. Step into that and grab a hold of it. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but he lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me give you another illustration, then we're done for today. Perhaps this will help. Imagine that you live in a really run-down, dilapidated, broken-up house. Some of us don't have to do any imagining to have that experience. Imagine along comes a benevolent benefactor, and he says, I'm going to give you a new residence, a new house. You just have to move from your old house, move into the new house. This is a H.G. Wonder House. It's got a brand new kitchen. It's got a great, you know, marbled countertop. My favorite aspect of the house would be that it has a king-size bed. Hallelujah, right? Big, huge bed. Now, I know some of you are freshly married, and you think somehow, why would you need a big bed? Because you still sleep all over each other, and you think that's normal. (laughs) When you get older, when you get older, I'm just going to fill you in on something here. Your goal when you go to bed is to sleep and to have a good night's sleep. And space is your friend. Amen? Otherwise, you're flailing all over each other all night long. Only it's not the kind of flailing you want to do. So at any rate, that's more than you want to know. But to me, if I'm living in an ideal house, it'll have a king-size bed in it. So getting back to my story here. What happens to us as followers of Christ is we got this great new residence in him, but oftentimes we go back to the old residence, our sinful ways, because they're patterns, they're default, we don't think about it. The other day I was taking Lydia to work. <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit this, I was really tired. I'm taking Lydia to work, I drove right by the turnoff to Stony Brook, and it's over there by, uh, Stony Brook's over there by um, High V, right? And, and Lydia goes, Dad, you missed a turn. And I laughed, oh, I did. You know what I was doing? I was driving to work to 3M. I haven't worked at 3M for 23 years. <laughs> I, would, I was so tired, I went into the auto mode. I was literally driving to 3M, and I started laughing. She had no idea why I was laughing. I'm going, wow, I think this is a senior moment or something. I don't know what I just experienced here. But I'm just going to someplace I haven't been there forever. You know, that happens to us spiritually. We have this grand new residence in Jesus Christ, this new life available, this new experience to be had. And you know what? Because of familiarity or whatever or pattering, we tend to go back to the old residence. What we need to do is develop a new route, a new pattern, a new way of thinking. And we need to go on purpose to where Christ wants us to go. And to begin with, it'll take some discipline. But you need to just go to Jesus and go to that new residence on purpose. Here's our practical implication today. In Christ, you have an address change. Live at your new address. Amen? Live there. Go there. You're alive in Christ. You're dead to your old self. You're alive in Christ. Go there. Go there. Go there. Get that pattern down, and pretty soon that'll become your default pattern. The application is this. See yourself alive to Jesus. We're going to talk more on that next week. So with this, I'm going to end this morning. Yeah, and we're going to close with a moment of prayer. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 and how it dives deeply into this concept of sanctification, 
the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that we can actually do the battle within us and come out the other side more than a conqueror in you, Lord Jesus. So I just pray for all of us to have open hearts to what you want to do in our lives, Lord, to be honest and real and authentic before you. And God, I pray that uh, we would not be dominated by sin or our old sinful nature, that we'd have a funeral for those things that seek to destroy us, seek to distract us, and that we'd put them in the ground and that we'd keep them buried, Lord. It, by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit, may we experience this, Lord. And I just pray that we all here would anticipate what you want to do in our lives, God, and that we would step into that over the next few weeks, Lord, and come out the other side more grown up in our faith, more sanctified in, in who we are as a person, God, more fully devoted to you, Lord, living a life of, of great self-awareness and understanding who we are and understanding who you are, God. I pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said,